Right, we're going to be in Isaiah 55 tonight. One of the greatest truths we find throughout God's Word is that God seeks sinful men. He seeks them and He calls them to come to Him. We see examples of this all throughout God's Word. We see the very first example of it right early on in the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. They recognize they have sinned against God. They hide from God. But God goes looking for them and He cries out, Where are you? We see an example of this, probably the most familiar. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew crying out, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation, it goes out to all people of all places of all times. But what exactly is Jesus inviting us to be a part of? Well, to hear many tell it in our day, we're being invited to a, an oppressive religion that would suck the joy and pleasure out of life. And sadly, many who profess Jesus as Savior live as though this is exactly what Jesus invites us to be a part of. Here's how the great Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon describes the invitation of Jesus. He said, The spiritual blessings promised and provided in the gospel comprise all that man may need. They are described as water, refreshing and cleansing. The water of life, whereof if a man drink, he shall never thirst again. They are next described as wine, the wine of joy, exhilarating, comforting, making glad the heart of man. A wine in which is no woe, but fullness of holy delight. These blessings are thirdly represented as milk, for milk is almost the only article of diet which contains everything that is necessary for the support of man. And thereof it is a type of the satisfying qualities of the gospel. He who receives the gospel of Jesus has all that his soul can possibly need for time and for eternity. So that water and wine and milk set forth a full supply of life and joy and satisfaction for our spirits. Jesus does not invite us to an oppressive religion that would suck the joy and pleasure out of life. On the contrary, he invites us to come to him. So that he can give us the full supply of life, joy and satisfaction. I I love that. I love the picture that gives me of of what I went to when I responded and went to Jesus. I also love the picture it gives me of what I'm offering when on a church service I share the gospel, preach the gospel and invite people to come and to receive Christ as their savior. Through the gospel, Jesus invites people to come to him. And receive the full supply of life and joy and satisfaction. But what does this invitation look like? What does this supply include? We'll open your Bible to Isaiah 55. We're going to look at the first three verses. should be on page 560 in the Pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Isaiah writes, you there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Title of the message tonight is The Invitation of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come tonight and we are glad that Jesus has invited us to come to him and receive what he has. Father, we are thankful tonight that we have responded to that. And Lord, we we want more. Father, we want more of everything Jesus has to offer us. Father, we don't want there to be anything in our lives that would cut off the supply of what Jesus wants to pour into our lives. We don't want there to be anything, Father, in our lives that would hinder what Jesus wants to give us. So, Father, use what we're going to talk about tonight to create a a deeper thirst and a deeper longing for the more. That, Lord, even though we have come to Jesus, that, Lord, we would continually go to Jesus. And we would go back and we would cry out for more and more and more of what He offers us. Fill me tonight with Your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I could speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. Have your way in all of our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are several key elements to notice in this passage as we begin to look at it. First, notice those who are thirsty are the ones who are invited to come for water. Those who have no money are invited to come get wine and milk. Now, now keep the picture of having nothing but being invited to an abundance In your mind. We'll get back to that in a minute. Secondly. Notice that there is a right and a wrong place to look for what we need. We're asked why do we spend money for that which is not bread. The idea seems to be to why are we spending our lives on things that really don't give us what we need. What our hearts truly long for. Why do we spend our wages for things that do not satisfy us. We are invited to come to Jesus to get what is good and to let our souls delight in his abundance. Thirdly, I think we're meant to notice the contrast between what the world offers and what Jesus offers. It's not just a contrast of what's offered, but the results in what's being offered. When we take what the world offers... It's not really the bread we need. We're still thirsty. We're not satisfied. We we never have. The world can never give us everything that we need and everything that we want and everything that our hearts and our souls long for. It doesn't really give us what we hope it will give us. When we take what the world offers Souls are never fully satisfied. 
Our souls are never delighted in abundance. However, when we take what Jesus offers, we do get all we need. Our souls are filled with his abundance. And what I take from this is so long as we look to the world to get what we need, we'll never have enough. We'll never be satisfied. It'll never really deliver fully on the promises it's claiming to give to us. But when we look to Jesus for what we need, we will have an abundance. So the key truth, the main idea tonight is Jesus invites us to come to him and receive his abundance. Now, this passage shows us four areas of abundance we receive when we go to Jesus in response to his invitation. We receive an abundance of the Holy Spirit. Now, the invitation begins in a way that we would all understand. I mean, who hasn't been out in a day working in the yard, working somewhere else, playing, doing something and got hot and thirsty and needed a drink? Thirst is a universal feeling. Water is a universal need. Everyone gets thirsty. Everyone needs a drink at some point. But what is being spoken of here is not so much physical waters as it is spiritual waters. It's not so much a a physical thirst as it is a a spiritual thirst. Harken back to Psalm 63, where we told that, that we live in a dry and a thirsty land. And when you live in a dry and a thirsty land, at some point you become dry and thirsty yourself. Do you ever get spiritually Thirsty. I know I do. I go through periods where I just am so thirsty for the more of what God can give me and what God has promised. I mean, I think of things like Ephesians saying being filled with all the fullness of God. And I look at my life and I I know that what Paul said there is real. Right? It's not just a snazzy saying. It's not meant to go on a coffee cup and say, gee, that's cool. It's meant to be a, a real thing. And yet, as I look at my life, what I realize is clearly I'm not filled with all the fullness of God. There's there's more that there's more of Jesus. There's more of the father. There's more of Holy Spirit. And in those times where I realize what a dry and a thirsty land I'm in and and the thirst comes, I'm thoroughly dissatisfied. And I want the more. And I feel safe in saying that every disciple of Jesus who Genuinely tries to live for Jesus experiences these times. And these times aren't bad. I think we're supposed to experience these times. These times of dissatisfaction. These times where we're not satisfied are are meant to spur us to seek Jesus more. To go deeper into the gospel. To get deeper into the word. To spend more time in prayer. to, To seek the Lord for the more that he may give us. I'm convinced these times of thirst precede real spiritual growth in our lives. But how do we quench this thirst? Well, we see here we go to Jesus in response to his invitation and he gives us what we need to quench this thirst. John chapter 7 verse 37 through 39 says now on the last The great day of the feast. Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, 
Let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But here's the key. But this he said in reference to the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The water represents the Holy Spirit, the abundance that Jesus calls to a part of the abundance Jesus calls to is to an abundance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that this one, this water would satisfy us. And those who are thirsty, we could find this, this quenching water in one place if we go to Him. And I believe it's meant to be given in abundance. The, the picture of not only given enough to just satisfy a thirst, but it's waters will flow out of us. Just as abundance of living water flowing out of us. John chapter 3 says, God gives the Spirit without measure or without limit. What would it look like in our lives for us to have so much of the Holy Spirit in abundance that, that He flowed out of us like a river? Imagine if I had a, a glass filled with water and I, I held it like this and, and Kelly came up and she grabbed my arms and she shook them. What would happen to the water in that glass? It would, it would go all over the place. But let me ask you a question. Why would water spill out of the glass? It's not because Kelly shook my arm. It's because the water was what was in the glass. Let me ask you, what spills out of you when life begins to shake you? What spills out of you when things begin to shake you? Because what spills out of us in those moments... It's not caused by the shaking. All it's doing is shaking out what's already there. God's word teaches us that a spirit filled life, what it looks like and what should spill out of us in our lives. Now, there's a lot we could look at, but just a few. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Let me ask you. On a regular basis, throughout your day, throughout your life, when things shake you, when, when just life happens, does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control spill out of our lives? Is that just the, the natural overflow of, of our lives, of who we are and how we live? Or, or how about this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Does witness about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Does that just spill out of us. Throughout our day and throughout our life. Or but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. Does this sort of holiness spill out of our lives during the day? And if the flesh is the, the sinful part of us, and the Spirit would lead us in the opposite of that, would selflessness spill out of us during our lives and during 
our day. Or how about this? With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. Does does prayer just naturally spill out of our lives throughout our day? Does does intercession for our brothers and sisters in Christ, does it naturally spill out of our lives throughout the day? If we're filled with an abundance of the spirit, these are some of what God's word said should be a part of the living water that flows out of us. Do these things spill out of our lives? And and while it would be accurate to say these things should spill out of our lives, the good news I want us to understand tonight is these things can spill out of our lives. Think about that. Not just they should, but they can. This is possible if God's word is real. That it's not a pie-in-the-sky image of what could be and should be, but it's the reality of how things can be. Then it is possible for us to go to Jesus to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that this kind of living water flows out of us, spills out of us. All throughout our day, all throughout our lives. This is what it means. It's part of what it means to have an abundance of the Spirit. Jesus invites us to come to Him. And receive an abundance of the Spirit. But we also receive an abundance of joy. Right? So he says, come and buy wine. Now, that part of the invitation is not for teetotaling free will Baptist, obviously. But as with water, I believe the wine is symbolic. It is symbolic for joy. Wine which makes the human heart cheerful. The invitation For wine in this passage represents coming to Jesus and receiving an abundance of his joy. God's word tells us that that he will make known to us the way of life. That in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this is one of my very favorite passages of God's word. It begins with the promise of guidance. From God. And it ends with us experiencing the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore as we live in His presence. I mean, that's just good stuff. Promised guidance from our Lord, living at His right hand, the fullness of joy, pleasures that are forever. But notice the connection. The experience of joy and pleasures are connected with being with Jesus. This is huge for us to understand. Christianity is often described as an oppressive religion. And as I said, many Christians live their lives in a way that it gives weight to this description. We had a guy at Fort Gibson who used to joke that he'd been baptized in pickle juice. He just never seemed to be a happy person. So what often is understood is that we have a choice in life. We can have pleasure and joy or we can be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet what we see in God's word is that the opposite is true. God's word teaches if we want to have the most pleasure and the most joy 
We must follow Jesus and we must live in his presence. It's only in following Jesus. It's only in living in his presence do we experience the fullness of joy and pleasures that last forevermore. Now, the the fullness of joy implies that it's not a partial joy. It's not an imperfect joy. It's not a joy that lasts for a moment and is gone. This joy satisfies the, the deepest desires for joy we have. This kind of joy moves us beyond the have to's and, and the got to's and the, the need to's that so often are associated with our service and devotion to Jesus. You know what I mean by that, right? Well, I have to go to church. Well, I need to read my Bible. Well, I, I got to pray. And joy brings us past all of that to the world of the the want-tos and the get-tos, the glad-tos and the excited-tos. Glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to spend time with the Lord in prayer. I'm excited about spending time in God's Word. The want-tos and the get-tos and the glad-tos and the excited-tos are sadly all too often missing in our service and our devotion to Jesus. The joy promised here is a joy that stays with us and sustains us through the hard times of life. Not just in the good times, but in the bad times as well. Paul writes, sorrowful, yet always Rejoice. There are a couple of different occasions in 2 Corinthians where Paul lists some of the hardships he had gone through in his service and devotion to Jesus. In chapter 6, he gives what you could call the short list of suffering. And at the end of the list, he makes this statement. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I think this verse is critically important as we begin to talk about the joy of the Lord. Because feelings of sorrow over trials and hardships and tragedies that come into our lives, it's not wrong. It's not unspiritual. It's not sinful. It's not even abnormal for those who are fully devoted disciples of Jesus. The idea of having an abundance of joy, the fullness of joy, isn't to make us feel bad because of the heartaches we feel when bad and difficult things come into our lives. Paul understood sorrow. He sorrowed over many things. Yet in his sorrow, there was always joy because he lived in the presence of Jesus. And when we live in the presence of Jesus, we can have the fullness of joy. Even when things are terrible, even when our hearts are broken. The Apostle Peter says that we can have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that is given in the context of suffering. Nothing else in the world can give you this kind of joy. Only Jesus. Jesus invites us to come to Him and receive an abundance of joy. We receive an abundance of the Spirit. We receive an abundance of joy. And we receive an abundance of strength. 
talks about milk in verse 1, bread in verse 2. And much of what I read about bread and milk said bread and milk represent the basic necessities of life. They are what you need for sustenance and strength. And as with water and wine, bread and milk are meant symbolically. The sustenance and strength reference are not physical, but spiritual. Jesus invites us to come to Him and receive an abundance of spiritual strength. Spiritual strength we'll need if we are going to be devoted disciples of Jesus in a lost and a dying world. What kind of strength are we able to have? Well, it talks about a boundless greatness of His power toward us who believe. And the, these acts are in accordance with the working of His strength and His might. Paul wants the Ephesians to fully understand how powerful their God really is. He describes God's power as being boundlessly great. The idea of boundlessly great means it, it is so great it cannot be measured. There is no limit to it. Paul's prayer is for every disciple of Jesus to truly understand God's power is far beyond anything our finite minds can comprehend. It's infinitely able to do anything that God would want it to do. But notice what he goes on to say about this boundlessly great power. It is toward us or it is for us who believe. This means God's boundlessly great power isn't just out there somewhere. It's able and God is ready to use it on our behalf. He takes his power and he makes it available to us. How does this power come into our lives? He grants it according to Ephesians, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. Paul prays for them to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in their, their inner being, their, this inner strength. So we receive mighty inner strength from the Spirit of the living God who lives within us. Holy Spirit, who we can receive in abundance, will powerfully strengthen us inwardly so that we would have the strength to do what God would have us to do. And we need this powerful strength to do just about anything we do for Jesus. We need powerful inner strength to resist the temptations we face. We need powerful inner strength to resist, to stand up against the, the enemy of our souls. We need powerful inner strength so that we can faithfully minister to others in the name of Jesus. We need powerful inner strength so that we can love people as Jesus has loved us. We need the powerful inner strength to do anything and everything we're supposed to do for Jesus. Because the reality is we can't do any of it in our own strength. Everything... Everything we read in God's word about what we're supposed to do, we we can't do not on our own. That's the point. We can't do it and we need Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus 
put His Spirit within us and His Spirit strengthens us so that we can do whatever it is that we need to do. The good news from this isn't that we need it. We're aware of that. If we have lived in this world for very long at all, we are aware of the fact we need the mighty inner strength of God to do anything that needs to be done. The good news is that God will provide it in abundance. He doesn't just give a little bit. He gives an abundance of it. When we go to Jesus in response to His invitation. Jesus invites us to come to Him to receive an abundance of power. And then finally we receive an abundance of promises. Abundance of the Spirit, abundance of joy, abundance of strength, and an abundance of promise. Those who go to Jesus in response to His invitation, we're told God said He will make an everlasting covenant with us according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Covenant is basically a, a contract where two or more parties agree to do specific things. God's word is filled with covenants. God makes covenants with his people. And these covenants, God agrees to, to do certain things for us. Here, God promises those who respond to Jesus' invitation, God will make a, a covenant with them. And this covenant comes with promises that God has promised he will do. In us and through us and for us. We wouldn't have time to look at all the promises given. But just this one passage I think is beautiful. That gives a, a great overview of all of it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises so that by them you, become, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world on account of lust. What Peter described here is available to every disciple of Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus who, who hears and answers this call is given the same divine power. To be at work in their lives. Whether it's superstars like Billy Graham. Or whether it's ordinary average disciples of Jesus in Guyman, Oklahoma. We are all given the exact same divine power. To be at work in our life. Every disciple of Jesus. And if you're a disciple of Jesus. You have initially responded to the invitation of Jesus. It's given everything they need pertaining to life and godliness. Think about that. If you have answered Jesus' invitation, you have gone to Him. Through Jesus, you have everything you need to live for Jesus. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Every disciple of Jesus knows Jesus through the true knowledge of Him who called us. 
We don't just know about Jesus. We know Jesus. Think about in the passage I read at the start of service, the seven sons of Sceva. Right? They tried to cast demon out of a man in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preached. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. How did that work out for them? Well, they left naked and bleeding. The demon said, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? So the secondhand knowledge of Jesus doesn't save or help anyone. And thankfully, as disciples of Jesus, we're called to do more than know stories about Jesus and facts about Jesus. We can know him. John 17, 3 says this is eternal life that we might know him and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Every disciple of Jesus can have a legitimate abiding relationship with Jesus because we know Jesus. Every disciple of Jesus has been called by Jesus to glory and excellence. We've all been called to that. We've all been called by that. All of us. Not There's not super Christians and regular Christians. There's, there's all of us. And we're all one thing. And we all have the same access. This is the part of the abundant promise that has been given to us. Every disciple of Jesus has become partakers of the divine nature. We're not the same, are we? We're a new creation, the Bible tells us. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. The spirit of the living God dwells within us. In some way, Jesus lives in us. We're not the same. We're not who we were. We're something entirely different. Because of the work of Christ in our lives. Every disciple of Jesus has the ability to escape the corruption that's in the world. Through lust. Every one of us. Have the ability to live a victorious life. Over the world, the flesh and the devil. That's a promise we have been given. Every disciple of Jesus has all of these magnificent and precious promises and more. Every single promise in God's word is true for every single disciple of Jesus. Jesus is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises for us. Jesus has sealed this new covenant we have with him in his own blood. So when we read this book, we're not reading a collection of cool stories. We're reading about what our God and our Savior do in people's lives. And these promises, they're every bit as much ours as they were theirs. When it talks about in Galatians 2 being crucified with Christ. And yet we live. That's for us. When it talks about in Galatians 1 that Jesus was given. For our sins to rescue us in this present evil age. That's for us. When it talks about anything and everything that it talks about in here. That's for us. 
God, when we come to Jesus in response to his invitation, God made a covenant with us and he has given us abundant promises. Jesus invites us to come to him and receive an abundance of precious and magnificent promises. When you have received abundance from Jesus, you recognize the scarcity of what the world offers. The world can't offer not one thing half as good as anything we've talked about tonight. In light of all that God offers us through Christ, How could we ever seek the world in this dry and parched land to to satisfy the longings of our hearts? So, So I want to ask you tonight, do you live in abundance from Jesus? Do you live in an abundance of the Holy Spirit? Do you live in an abundance of joy? Do you live in an abundance of spiritual strength? Do you live in an abundance of precious and magnificent promises? You can. You can. Every one of us can. Everything we've talked about tonight is possible for every Single disciple of Jesus. The question is, if we don't live in this abundance, are we content to live in the scarcity of the world? Or do we want the more that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross? But here's what we've got to do. This is the the end right here. Incline your ear that you incline your ear and come to me. This is the key. Maybe you're here and you say, I I want all of those things. That's great. That want produces nothing if you don't go to Jesus. Say, "I, I want those things. Great. Go to Jesus. That's where we drop the ball. That's where we get almost up to the to cross the finish line and we stumble and don't go on. We want it. We think that would be wonderful. It would be great if I could have all of that. You can't. Uh, well, I don't know. A hard truth, and, and I will close with this. A hard truth is this. We have as much... Of the abundance of Jesus as we're willing to seek and receive. If we don't live in that abundance, it's not because Jesus doesn't have it. It's not because he's changed his mind about giving it. It's because we're not going to Jesus to receive it. 
So we don't often do this on a Wednesday night, but I, I want to do it tonight. I want to give us a chance to seek Jesus for his abundance. So if you want to come to the altars to pray, you can. If you want to pray where you are, that's fine. The need right now, if you want the more, don't just pine for it. Don't just long for it. Seek the only person in the universe who can give it. Use this time to seek Jesus. Respond to his invitation and receive his abundance.